Hello, and welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. This is episode 11. I'm your host, Jen, with... I am Jesse Ulrich. Yay! We are here this week with the Parent Circle Family Forum, um, a group of Palestinians and Israelis coming together um, through tragedy in this conflict. And we have two very inspiring people um, who have both lost loved ones. And I can't wait for you to hear their stories and kind of this journey that they've been on. We really enjoyed um, being able to talk to them. So I guess we'll get right to it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we both cry. <laughs> so with that, to the theme song. Robbie Damlin and Bassam Aramin. Um, welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. We're so excited you guys are here to join us. Why don't we start a little bit and tell people a little about yourselves? Um, these two are involved with the Parents Circle. Why it's called the Parents Circle mm-hmm. Families Forum. Families it's important Forum. to include the families. Okay, that's very important. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Um, my name is Robbie Damlin. And I am part of the Parents Circle Families Forum. I joined after my son David was killed by a Palestinian sniper. And when I realized that I wanted to do everything I possibly could to prevent others from suffering this pain. Uh, thank you. My name is Bassam Aramin. Uh, I joined the Parents Circle on the 16th of January 2007 after I lost my 10 years old daughter, Abir, to an Israeli border police. Can you two tell us a little bit about um, where the Parents Circle and Families Forum kind of began and how, how did you guys find out about it after these tragedies? Well, this organization was started by a religious Orthodox Jewish man who had lost his son um, when he was kidnapped and killed by the Hamas. And he wanted to take a different path, not one of revenge. He also wanted to support Itzhak Rabin, mm-hmm. who was the then prime minister, who was uh, suffering a lot of demonstrations against him, and many of them created by uh, other bereaved parents. And Itzhak saw another way, Itzhak Frankenthal, and decided that he would um, look for Israeli families who had a similar opinion, who wanted to stop the violence, who wanted to look for a peaceful solution with reconciliation. And so actually he went into a library and took out all the newspapers and wrote letters to all of the parents who had lost children. And it started off with a very small group. And then what happened was Many of the Israelis said, yes, well, we want peace. Where are the Palestinians? And uh, the first Palestinians to join actually came from Gaza. And the first act that they did together was to go to the house of the then president, um, Weizmann, Ezra Weizmann, which was quite an extraordinary gesture on his part to invite bereaved families from both sides. In the beginning, it was much more of a photo op organization. They took coffins to the United Nations, not real coffins, coffins made out of cardboard, 
and put them outside the United Nations, something like a thousand coffins which were covered with Israeli and Palestinian flags. And many of the parents went along to stand outside and demonstrate. And slowly, slowly, it became much more work on the ground. Of course, when the Second Intifada happened, it became impossible to meet um, the members from Gaza, which was very sad. And so we started to work on the West Bank. And today, um, we have 600 families, all of whom have lost an immediate family member, and it's half-half, half Palestinian, maybe more Palestinians, in fact, than Israelis. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and the family members, it doesn't just have to be a parent like both of you who lost. It can be the siblings, like yes. your, your other children. Are, yes. you're, amazing. Um, and so while here in Boston, you guys are promoting and kind of talking and telling people this story and what what are you here for? And kind of what's on your schedule throughout the U.S. more than just Boston? Um, before the podcast started recording, they were telling us about other cities in the U.S. they had visited, and kind of you want to tell us a little bit about your trip through the United States. Yeah, in fact, we we have these speaking tours around the world, including United States, to uh, raise awareness about our situation, to tell our stories, and to spread this universal message that we can use our pain in a different way, not only mm -hmm. for revenge, which works in Palestine, Israel, and America, and Syria, and Iraq, and everywhere. Right. Because most of the people, they don't understand exactly our situation. Uh, and again, this is our message that uh, we can overcome our pain and to choose another way to survive together. It's very easy to take revenge. Right. Uh, but it's very difficult to face your enemy and to look at his eyes and we start to talk. We discovered that we are the same. We have the same story, the same pain, the same tears. Uh, and we can recognize the, the humanity in each other. And we can talk. Uh, our goal in general in the parent circle is to create uh, uh, a reconciliation uh, process. Mm -hmm. uh, to be uh, part of any peace agreement in the future. Because from our experience, we know that uh, the pain is still there, the anger is still there, the, ha the, the hatred is still there. We need to talk about it and we need to, to have a reconciliation between the Israelis and the Palestinians because we are sure that in one day we will have peace agreement, for sure then we need to start a peace uh, reconciliation process to accept each other and to live with each other. Let me ask you this. This is a prior question you get all the time, which is that if, um, you know, if we're to believe the sort of polls that come out on occasion uh, when Israelis and Palestinians are asked whether they, you know, whether they support a two-state solution or whether they want peace between Israeli and Palestinians, the majority do, and yet it hasn't happened. And so the question I'm guessing you get is, why is that still the case? What... Uh, uh, of course, the the idea of uh, retribution and revenge is always there. But what is what's uh, stuck in the system that's stopping you know steps from you know from taking place and from the peace process from moving forward? Well, I think I'd like to go back to the mm -hmm. question because what are we doing here? Um, it's very important to know that. Well, really, we came to launch a project. It's a project which is called www.steps the number four peace.org. 
It's a program that we actually initially launched at the European Parliament in June and then in the Bundestag. And if you open this beautiful website, you will see a clip which is really the essence of who we are. Mm -hmm. And we launched that in Congress this week. And um, because we'd already done it in the European Parliament and in the Bundestag in Germany, it was so moving to see that actually the members of Congress who came were from both sides. And that for us is the most important part of our message is that there were Democrats and Republicans together in a room looking for another solution. Which is huge. Yes. Huge. And then when, when going to Milwaukee, we found, actually we met the Muslim and the Jewish liaison officers from the White House. And one of the students' uh, interns was from Milwaukee, a Palestinian, and he wrote to the Palestinians, uh, uh, students in Milwaukee, to invite them to come to the evening because very often it is difficult to get Jewish and Muslim students on a campus to come out together. And it happened. And they listened to our message. And at the end, they met each other and they said they now want to work together. You see, that's everything that we can, that's the essence of what we do. Because I'm not half as powerful without Bassam. If I would come here and talk in my own voice, it would be maybe quite powerful. But if I'm together with Bassam in the same voice, that's what makes us unique. Mm -hmm. I don't know another organization that during the conflict continues to work regardless. Together, and united. according to your question, why we don't have peace, in spite most of the Palestinians and the Israelis, they want peace. In fact, we have two problems, many problems, but <laughs> two main problems. First, the same people who want peace from both sides, which are the majority, I believe, they don't trust each other. And this is one of the main problems, because mm-hmm. we don't know each other. The other thing, in fact, Uh, we don't have a strong leadership that can look forward to the future and to overcome this past with all of this pain in the past. Uh, And this is how you control the fear of people, to control them and to feed their fear again and again and again, which is part of our problem. You have to just continue that conversation. I think... Well, you know, uh, when you live in a situation where one country occupies another space for nearly, it will be 50 years, quite soon, you must begin to realize, and I I need to say at this point that the parent circle Mm -hmm. is not affiliated to any political party. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course, we're all political people, you know, but it's important to know that. But if you would look, and I love Israel, it's my country, Yes, but I don't want, and I want, I don't want Israel to be brought to its knees. I want it to come to its senses, because if you look at the occupation, you must understand that it will have repercussions with Israeli people. If you send a young soldier to stand at a checkpoint, who has to make decisions far beyond his years, and he doesn't let a pregnant woman come through the checkpoint, and maybe she has the baby there, what do you think? happens to this kid. He doesn't come from a violent home. So he goes back home for Shabbat and he won't tell his parents. Sometimes they come to tell us. So what happens is he may take his father's car and have an accident. 
more people are killed on the roads in Israel. Mm -hmm. There's more domestic than in the conflict. Mm -hmm. There's more domestic violence than we've ever had. And there's more violence in the schools. You can't expect people to go, kids, to go and serve and then come back and be the same after they have faced a civilian population. So even if you don't care about the Palestinians, and I care deeply, but even if you don't care, you will realize that the occupation is killing the moral fiber of Israel. And I care deeply about that because Israel must exist. If we continue with the occupation, I think the future of Israel is a big question mark. So, on the occupation, when you go to college campuses and you get the, you know, the, the Israel groups and the Palestinian groups together, they're obviously, they're, they're passionate, they're occasionally angry, and I was wondering how you sort of work, how do you talk to them about this? How do you get them to a place where they're willing to be open about talking to each other? Uh, I think it's very difficult to be against our message everywhere because our message is dialogue, non-violence, reconciliation, forgiveness, and peace, and to understand each other. It means if you oppose that, so you don't want peace, you don't want even dialogue or to talk to each other. And because, again, we have this moral authority, because we, we already uh, paid the highest price. I spent seven years in the Israeli jails when I was 17 years old. I lost my daughter. And I continue this way, so I have the right to talk. And the people must listen to me. Uh, so in this case, the people listen to us, because again, it's not a fanatic message, it's not an extremist message. And especially when we told them that we don't ask you to be pro-Israelis or to be pro-Palestinians. We demand of you to, be, uh, uh, to support peace. We have the right to exist, both of us. We need to respect each other. Then the opposite. We let them understand that they need to work together against uh, uh, the injustice everywhere, including the occupation. The occupation is the occupation. As, as it's harmed the Palestinians, it's also corrupt Israel and the Israelis. And as Robbie said, I want to live in a moral society. And I want to live in a a moral and safe society at the same time. One of the messages that we always give wherever we go, and by the way, I wish more colleges would be able to um, encourage both the Muslim and the Jewish students to come to meetings together. This is becoming more and more difficult. When they understand who we are, it's possible that they would come because it's an equal organization. But one of the things that we continuously say is we don't want you to be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine because what comes out of that is an importation of our conflict which creates hatred between Jews and Muslims and we don't want that. I, I, there isn't an answer to this question, but as an American Jew, I can tell you there, there's a very large proportion of us that are just sort of frustrated and feel very hopeless when thinking about uh, this issue. And I also think very confused. Yeah, very confused. And I was reading some of the stories on one of your many websites today. It's a weird thing to be, to gather optimism from 
incredibly sad stories. But on the other hand, the sad stories that lead to an understanding of that revenge isn't the answer and that peace is the answer. And being able to hear about people's switch from one of the most worst things that can happen to somebody and then that being turned into something wonderful was incredibly inspiring to me today. I was just, I was, I was reading a couple of them this morning and I mean, I imagine that is an incredibly effective tool as you're talking to people because you're telling them this terrible thing happened and now I'm here and this is where we should all be. And so mostly I just want to thank you for that. Cause it's well, but you know, this can be an example. I was watching the Democratic Convention and I saw the black mothers standing on the stage. And I thought to myself, wow, it would be so much more powerful if those black mothers who lost children had stood on the stage together with the mothers of the police officers that died, as we do in our organization. Mm -hmm. It may have been a fantastic example to stop the violence. So that's something that should be worked on. And you know, I offered that where perhaps we can come with some of our workshops. It's not easy. When people first meet, the anger rises up and the blaming and my suffering is more than your suffering and the whole competition of suffering. But there is a way and that, you know, I think that could be a very powerful tool to stop this terrible violence that's going on here. It's happening all over the world, but it's very sad to see Charlotte and, and places that get completely out of control. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, one of the shootings happened in the town where I grew up, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I can tell you from, just from like from social media and from people I know living there, there's there's two conversations happening, and they need to be happening to each other, and they're not. Yes. Um, and it's 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 they're sad. Very combative with each other. Yeah. No. Versus. Yeah. And there uh, there's a lack of understanding on both sides. Obviously, from the um, you know white population of Oklahoma, which is way higher than any other population in the state of Oklahoma, there is a lack of understanding because of the socioeconomic issues, especially in a place like Tulsa, with its own history of its own race riot in 1921. There's a there's a break in in the city, and you know I I didn't see that many African Americans growing up until I had to go to a special school in the first grade, where I had to go to the the, the black part of town. That was that was the first time. There was only one or two of them. There were just as many black people in my high school as there were Jews. There were two Jews in my high school. There were like five black people in, in my high school. Um, and so the conversations aren't happening yet, but they, but there are, there, are, yeah, there are a couple of central people who I think understand that what needs to happen is after you've moved past the anger, you have to talk about what's, what, what's actually happening, why these things are happening. But when you also realize that the pain of loss is the same for an Israeli, a Palestinian, a South African, a black woman in America, the mother of a policeman, it's all the same pain, you know? Everybody mm -hmm. goes to bed, sheds the same color tears. So when you realize that, that is what can change a whole world for you. Right. Because you seem to think that only you feel that pain, but that's not true. And actually for, you know, I remember the first meeting I had with Palestinian mothers. That was such a transformative experience for me this understanding of the shared pain. Mm -hmm. How did you, once you experienced this tragedy, like how did you find this organization? Did you know about them before or no. did somebody reach out to you? Yes, um, they'd read a lot of things that I'd said in the newspaper mm -hmm. about that I thought that settler children were abused. You can imagine how popular I was after that. <laughs> but I do think they're abused. I don't think that your child should have to go to school in a tank 
or should we have a license to do violent things? Because you will notice that each new generation will become more violent. It's like abused children, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's Huck Franken told the man I told you about who created the organization, came to talk to me and invited me to a weekend of Palestinian and Israeli bereaved. And that changed. I mean, I just started from there. Was It yeah. took over my whole life, more or less. Yeah. And how yeah. did you find out about for it? For me, in, in fact, I was a co-founder of a group called uh, Combatants for Peace, mm-hmm. which is ex-Israeli soldiers and officers with ex-Palestinian prisoners in 2005. And one of the co-founders was a bereaved uh, brother from the Israeli side. Then he started to talk about the parent circle. Okay. Uh, two years later, I lost my uh, daughter. Then I I started to read and to listen to Robbie Damon, <laughs> very active. And in your worst dream, you don't want to join this organization. No. The, the, the price is very high. So directly, in fact, next day when I lost my daughter, I joined the parent circle because I know them, I know their message. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how I joined them. But to go to back, uh, what you talk about the frustration about the situation in Palestine, Israel, as a, a Jewish person living in the United States, always he said, uh, if you live in Boston or California or Washington, you have no right to give up hope. And it's very easy not to compromise sometimes. Why mm-hmm. should you? Uh, we are on the ground. It's not a matter of hope, in fact. It's a faith. It's a fact. We will live in peace. We will have peace. When, how much blood we need until to understand that our lives is more important than any land. And always I give this example because I I have a master's degree about the Holocaust in Bradford University in 2011. Then I learned from this tragedy that the Palestinians didn't kill six million Israelis. The Israelis didn't kill six million Palestinians. And there is a German ambassador in Tel Aviv. But there is an Israeli ambassador in Berlin. So we are very strong people if we decide to look forward and to overcome our past. Mm-hmm. To compare this tragedy, this crime against the humanity with our conflict, you will find our conflict easy. We need to have the will that we can trust each other and we can live together. That is an incredibly op- optimistic view. Also, as someone who almost got a master's degree in Holocaust studies, I can tell you like how you came, how you found an optimistic uh, twist off of that is incredible because that was some of the most depressing classes imaginable. <laughs> I commend you. Yes. Honestly, when thinking about this interview, I really didn't know what to expect from the two of you. And I have to say, this is, this is really incredible. We as American Jews do not, e- even if we travel to Israel, we don't really get what it is like growing up there, living there, you know, living with this day to day. And it's, one, it's informative to know, and two, it's, in a strange way, it, it is hopeful. And I wanted to twist a little bit because of, uh, we're recording this today after the first uh, presidential debate, which I, <laughs> which I absorbed mostly via the TV and Twitter. And so I wanted to ask about social media really quickly. How does your group sort of decide how to attack what is the constant bickering and lack of listening that goes on in social media, where it's really just people yelling at each other? Well, I mean, um, of course, a lot of the talkbacks that you get from articles are paid talkbacks by by certain groups. 
And so actually we created a website, uh, uh, sorry, a Facebook page. You can see my age, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's called uh, Crack in the Wall. And it's in Hebrew and Arabic. And we allow, there's no censoring. So people can say whatever they like, but not, of course, swearing or anything vile. And what really comes out of that was so interesting during the Gaza war, we had more people from Gaza came onto the website than anywhere else. So we use that a lot. And it gets translated from Hebrew to Arabic, and it's a good platform for people to talk to each other. We also have a Facebook page in English, and of course a website, and this new project that we're doing. So we use social media a lot. And you have to just learn how to react. You know, um, mm -hmm. it was interesting last night at Tufts. We had a beautiful evening at Tufts, by the way, and we walked, we had a silent walk afterwards with all the students. Um, they kept asking me, how can we dialogue? And I kept saying, you have to learn to listen. And this is one of the most important parts of working, because if you don't listen, you'll never know. Mm -hmm. And most of the work that we do on the ground in Israel and Palestine is about narrative. When you hear the other person's story, and when you listen with empathy, and when you see their humanity, then somewhere along the line, things change. You don't become Martin Luther King, okay? But you do have an empathy for how the other sees their life and for their suffering. And I keep saying that Israel will never be safe until the Palestinians have a state. And Israel cannot be a part of a situation where there's no freedom of movement in the occupied territories because that's a basic human right. And we as Jews, I told you right in the beginning, I love Israel. But we as Jews have a duty to the world. You know, before David was killed, he always said that Israel should be a light of democracy for the Middle East. And sometimes I look around me and I'm so sad because it's not happening. And because there's so much racist behavior. And because people have lost the ability to respect each other. And until we, we have to change our ways, because for our own sake, I told you, if you don't care about the Palestinians, you know, even if you don't care for the future of Israel, and if we want a moral country, and if we want to survive as a country, we're going to have to learn a lot of lessons. And the government is going to have to change. Mm. Well, you made me tear up. Yeah, I know. I'm a little tear over here. Um, so I guess to, to sum up, the answer of truly needing to listen to another person really almost works for any situation. Uh, consider, like, we're in an election season. The first thing I notice is that there's always a point when I stop listening to the people I disagree with. And that's the moment when I have to take take a step back and be like, okay, why am I not listening? And it's something as fraught with emotion and tension and sadness as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It, it, it's just truly amazing that the, both of you are so effective at telling people to listen. Like I'm, I'm sitting across from you and I'm like, yeah, we all just need to listen. I feel incredibly optimistic right now. And while I know that optimism will eventually slowly fade again as I get frustrated, I'll always remember that 
listening is what has to come first. And so one of my questions, which you guys kind of already answered, what what we, we as Americans and American Jews do, what can we do to help in this case? And that is, I guess, just listen. I mean, unless there's a second part to that answer that sounds like, you know, it's it's about being open to other people's stories and other people's emotions. It's also to talk to everyone, because if you exclude somebody from the conversation, they will become more radical. And that's the difficult thing to do is, you know, it's terribly easy to go and give a lecture and everybody loves you. So Mm. what? (laughs) You know, but if you find people who can't, um, who don't agree with you, but you respectfully listen to them, you'd be amazed what happens. Because generally we don't like, we have an argument with somebody that we don't agree with. We don't listen to what they're saying. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but you can have an empathy for their opinion. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially if you are, have a sharp tongue, which I have. You know, I could wipe you out in a minute. But I have no would, doubt. But what would I achieve by that? Right. I will close you down for life and you'll never listen to me again. And this is what we do. I was listening to the debate last night, you know, and thinking to myself, this is really very disrespectful. thought the same thing. You know, there is a saying that if you don't have love, you cannot give love. It's like if you don't have money, you cannot give money. If you cannot listen to the others, in one day you cannot listen to yourself even, and no one will listen to you. I have a fun question, if we want to end on a fun question. So I saw in your notes that both of you, like, I don't know if yours has come out yet, but you've both been featured in a documentary or had a documentary about you? About the two of you? No, separately, separately. So my question is, which documentary is better? (laughs) And then Robbie smile. I I really believe it's not uh, because of Robbie. I really believe (laughs) mine is better. Actually, mine got more prizes. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm sure they're both wonderful and incredible stories. It's not our documentaries. It's about us. Right, right. We didn't make them. Uh, I I watched Robbie's movie, which is uh, uh, One Day After Peace. It's very strong, very emotional, mm-hmm. very strong. And uh, the movie, the uh, documentary about me and my Israeli brother, Ramil Hanan, who lost his 14 years old daughter too, in, the, uh, in 1997 to a Palestinian suicide bomber. It's, it talks about our humanity, you know, our message, how we overcome this pain and try to spread this message among our kids first of all, and families mm-hmm. and our friends. Anybody who wants to see these documentaries, we also have a documentary called yes. Two-Sided Story, yes. which has been on many, many uh, campuses, around yeah. about 100 campuses. comes with a, a screening guide. It's a really good way to start a conversation. That's why I love documentaries, because everybody shuts up till it's finished. Right. And then they can start to fight. Incredible. Yes. We can definitely um, put those links in yes. when we post this. Yeah. The, within the Eye of the Storm is the name of Bassam's okay. documentary. Incredible. Can't wait to hear more about these stories. Yes. Well, th- thank you guys so thank much. Thank you guys for so much. This is incredible. Well, thank you all for listening to episode 11 with 
uh, Robbie Damlin and Bassam Armin. We mentioned a lot of resources and documentaries and websites. We'll put we'll, we'll put all of those in the episode notes. So if you're looking for those, you can click there. Uh, I want to thank JewishBoston.com and the Young Adult Initiative team of CJP for helping us do this. And of course, uh, Sean Fogel for our amazing music. And uh, we look forward to um, the next episode. So enjoy, everybody. Shabbat Shalom.